Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Gals of Geekdom podcast. I am one of your hosts, Crystal Williams. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm joined by my equally amazing co-host, Lizzie. Hi. Uh, my I'm, I'm Lizzie. My pronouns are she or he, either one, preferably both. Got it. And today, with just the two of us, unfortunately, but... We're hoping for the next, by the next episode, you should see all of us, or hear all of us together for the finale of our little mini-series, but in our continuing series to look at all the films, um, today we are looking at one of the more fun entries in the series, which is, I guess, can be considered the entry of two series. We've got... Freddy vs. Jason... Which is one of my favorite movies ever. I fucking I did love. Not it. Know that it was. One... <laughs> I didn't know it was one of your favorites. Is this like one of no? Genuinely, it, uh, this is probably the movie I've seen. The only movie I've probably seen more t- more times than this is Christmas Vacation. Oh, because Christmas I watch that movie every single year, so I've literally seen that movie twenty six times. Uh, <laughs> But so I I love Freddy vs. Jason and I seriously I would love to get this out of the way first, okay? I think first and foremost, while we've been yes, this is a th- Friday the thirteenth retrospective, but I think first and foremost this is a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I think this is included in the Shout Factory collection that they have. Yes. So it is. I think this is why I think this is why we are considering this one a part of the Friday the 13th series. I it feel like it feels both. appropriate. It is both. I think that, but the, I, to, the leading franchise for me is very unambiguously a nightmare on Elm Street. Um, in its structure, in its framing, from the fact that we open and close on shots of Freddy. True. Freddy is the narrator in the first part. Yeah, Freddy, like, this is to, so to me, like, this is, this is, um, before anything else, this is a Nightmare on Elm Street movie with Jason in it. Now, that being said, I think, for the most part, um, the movie does a great job at, um, utilizing the entertainment factors of both franchises. It at least knows the aesthetic of both franchises. Absolutely. I love the design of Jason in this movie. Um, this is like his most, this is, and this is saying something. This is like his most zombie, um, design. Even more so than seven, you would say? I would say. Um, I think largely because I think it's a lot to do with that, um, that shot of him near the beginning we get of his body still in the ground. Yeah, that's true. Which is gooey and gnarly as fuck. I love it. We get to, like, see his his decrepit, like, shrunken lungs and his black heart under his, like, the decomposing rib cage. It's really cool. <laughs> this is a very cool shot. Um uh, this also I, has the best. This movie also it has the best intro to any movie ever. It has the best title card of any movie ever. Um, <laughs> it is River of Blood. 
over Lamb of God. <laughs> so this movie, it's really hard to tell when it was made. You can't tell at all that it was early 2000s. No way. No, not at all. No, not at all. Oh. <laughs> There's a like this, the, and they were completely correct to do so. This movie has um, a, an unapologetic new metal soundtrack. Yep. Um, and it's perfect. It is perfect. I will not hear. I love it so much. I mean, I think it's charming. It is. It's very, very rooted in the time it came out. <laughs> I wouldn't want, I would want nothing else. Because this movie is a, is an elongated wrestling match. Between Freddy and Jason. I mean, in my eyes, the parts that actually I would consider this movie, like, genuinely good are the fights. The fight scenes are amazing. The fight scenes are okay. And there's there there's I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that this is like a fantastic movie. I want, I want to make no, that. this is what that's what I meant by it. Where it's like it's, it's an awesome movie. <laughs> but um, it's funny. <laughs> um, I love uh, just a side thing. I I really love that our. Our final girl, as it were, for this movie. I love that. I like that they named her Lori. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I've always liked that. I think it's a really cute little detail. Mm-hmm. Um, an homage to Halloween. There's also like the shot where she gets, she gets startled by the dude after running away from her father behind like the the hedges. Yeah. If you remember that, where yeah. I'm, like. That feels very Halloween to me. It's a little homage to Halloween. I I appreciate that. I think that it's. I think that those details are sweet and charming. I really like them um, because this is a movie. Like the reason this movie works so well is because this was a movie made by people who really really love both of these franchises. Yes. Like there's so much just love. Like this is a, this is so much fun and there's so much love and there's so much like. <laughs> affection packed into the, this movie. Yes. And that's what it needed. Like, you can't, this, this could, like, the, like the way, this would have turned out so boring and terrible if this had just, like, yes, the studio, like, it's obviously a stunt. It's obviously a cash grab, but, like, it's, like, this could have, this would have turned out so boring and terrible if, if it wasn't being made by people who were, like, okay! <laughs> like, People who were like mimicking this fight with action figures in their bedroom—that's <laughs> what this needed to be, and it and it and it and it does that, and it's so fun. This is also—I think a lot of the a lot of the kills in this movie fucking rule. Um, I'm really, especially I, and because this specifically because this shot fucks with me a lot. Um, I think that scene of um the kid from the mental hospital of his older brother. When Freddy's showing him his older brother in the bathtub. You know, his older brother is the actor who played the bully in Christmas Story, I think. Oh, really? I'm pretty certain. I will check on you now. 
But I love it where, where, where like he flings his arms and we see the, um, his slit wrists and the blood. Like, uh, it's such a good effect and it's such a good shot and it's one of, the reason why it's one of the best effects in the movie is because it's practical. Um. <laughs> yeah. That, that's one of the things I don't love about this movie is when it leans too much on the CGI, on the not good CGI. Because almost all of the CGI effects that they use in this movie could have been done better with practical effects. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's charming unto itself in a way, but, like, I really think that this movie, like, I, 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 I think it would I would have liked it a lot better if a lot of these stuff had been done practical. Well, of course, but this was in the early 2000s, CGI. <laughs> 2000. Oh, look, CGI. Um... I also, another thing we need to get out of the way, um, Jason won. Yes. Jason won. I've seen people call it a tie. That is incorrect. I get that we have this, like, cheeky last shot where um, we get we get the, the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, music staying and Freddie winks. But, uh, no, this was not a tie. Jason won. Jason won that fight. Bar none. He got the final blow. Jason won. I think so. Especially since he's holding his head. You know? Yeah. That's, I think that, that, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't want, Jason winning also makes more sense <laughs> to me. The way they characterize the two of them, I yeah. think having having him be the victor is a lot more satisfying. I agree, and it's also and I, this is another thing that I think is like speaks to the fact that um, the people writing this movie really really understood both of the franchises they were working with um, because the characterization for Jason and Freddie in, these, in, in in this movie is perfect. Um, they really, really understood the fact that Jason is a fundamentally more sympathetic character than Freddy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're both, I mean. Like, obviously they're both monsters, they're both serial killers, uh, but Jason at his core is, like, if you're gonna, you can't have Freddy doing Freddy's thing to Jason and not elicit, like, tragedy. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Considering the back, the background of the characters are very different too. Like one is one is a sympathetic tragedy of Jason, right? And then you got Freddy, who's just a fucking monster. There's there's no sympathetic qualities to him. Listen, I I really really love. I also really love that we get that opening scene where we get to see Robert England without any makeup. I'm glad he got to do that. I'm sure he loved it. I think because there's only there's only there's a very small handful of scenes like that throughout the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, those are typically the in in a Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. We get a bunch of them, and those scenes are the best in the the best scenes in that movie. Oh, well, actually, that makes sense to put it in that movie. I get why they did it. Yeah. And I really like I really like that because it's like it gives um Robert England a slightly different um beat 
beat to play the character on. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and also, Robert England is pretty. I like looking at his face. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I can understand that. Um, and but I also think like it's really, <laughs> it's kind of an extra fucked up scene too because it's him walking towards this like. We're used to him killing the teenagers, and we know that he killed little children, but there's something about see, actually seeing Freddy, like, attack a literal, like, seven-year-old that's, like... Oh, it, it definitely establishes him as someone you hate. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, really, it's really great. I think the scene's really great. Um, this movie Is also... Is it just me, or does it have, like... The movie has, like, inconsistent... Kind of somewhat inconsistent design for Freddy's makeup at times. For Freddy's fingers? Uh, no, no, for his makeup. For his makeup. Like for his, his makeup? Face. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's like certain shots, and it might just be the lighting. I'm not, I've never taken a note of that, uh, but if you did, then I believe you. I just, I, not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but sometimes I would look at him like, Especially, like, when you compare, like, the opening shot to, like, later in the movie. Um, they definitely feel... Some shots make them look more demonic than other shots. Mm. And I don't... I think that's intentional, but it's just uh, something I was picking up on. Like, I almost felt like every time I looked at Freddy's face, it was slightly different. And I don't know why. Maybe. Again, I didn't completely wrong. That, but, you could, but if you noticed it, then I believe you. No, I don't no, think. No. Yeah, don't say you're wrong. Like you're probably not. I hope other people notice it. <laughs> it might just be the lighting, uh, but you know, it's something that I noticed. This I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just strange. This movie also uh, features Catherine Isabel. Yes. Um, and I of of Ginger Snaps and American Mary. And oh, I'm, I Ginger love, Snaps is another movie I have to mark off my to watch. Oh, you absolutely! You definitely should. I think I think Ginger Snaps has a fantastic um, trans trans reading to it. Interesting. That I'm I'm personally like super obsessed with. Um, by the way, I double checked um, the actor who plays his older brother is the one from Christmas Story. Who's the boy? That's really funny. Because he's got the red hair. If you look look at him again, Zach Ward is the actor. Cool. Uh, so I just like it's funny to go like, oh yeah, that's the dude from Christmas Story. Who <laughs> so eventually gets the shit kicked out of him in that movie. <laughs> No Christmas yet. <laughs> I won't. Sorry. We're still in Halloween. Um, sorry. sorry. Mindset going back to Halloween. Um, but uh, yeah, I I absolutely I love Catherine Isabel. She's one of my favorite. <laughs> she's one of my favorite people. I love her so much. Um, she plays for anybody who doesn't know. She plays the um, the friend with the abusive fuckhead boyfriend. Which oh, I'm also a big fan of the fact that like Jason kills like three rapists in this movie. 
Yes, yes, he does. He, and I'm like, yeah, there we go. That's my boy. Good job. <laughs> hey, I, I'm, how many rapists is that? Is he up to total now throughout the whole series? Oh gosh, we should have been keeping a counter. A lot. I know. I Feminist feel like he's on Jason Voorhees. <laughs> 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 oh no, Jason's kind of woke now. Can't wait to see him in, at his college campus in his women's study. <laughs> you know he's getting an A. He. <laughs> have you ever seen? There's this really, really adorable comic, and I, I, I can't remember what it's called, so I have to hunt it down. But there's this adorable comic online. This um, camp counselor Jason with camper um, Carrie White comic strip. No. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's so cute. It is so <laughs> cute. I will find it and send it to you because it it's it's so precious. Okay, I need to see this then. I need I need the visual context. <laughs> um, but yes, and all of the fight scenes, obviously, like the highlight of this movie. Yes. All the fight scenes. The director of this film is uh, Ronnie Yu, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he mainly did martial arts films before this. You can tell. Yeah. Tell that. <laughs> you can tell where his strengths lie as a filmmaker, uh, in my opinion. Uh, they're, yeah, they're so... They're, <laughs> We'll get back to praising the fight scenes in a second, but let's, yeah, we can, we can acknowledge some of the problems, um, which is, uh, there's I, some off track. I like this movie. Yeah, I, I like this movie, but seeing it again makes me remember that I felt, feel like the first two acts are where this movie, um, has a lot of the issues. There's got, there's some awkward acting choices and some strange, Blocking decisions from the director in the not fight scenes. Yeah. <laughs> that, are just, that are questionable at times. Yeah. <laughs> However, I think the thing that got the biggest laugh out of me watching again this time was early on when they all run out of the house screaming after seeing that douchebag boyfriend guy get get murdered and the cops like <laughs> they flag the help <laughs> she's like what the fuck do you think what the fuck do you think I love that, I love that scene. this is um this is a thing I'm gonna die on so that cop character yes um I feel like I wish he first of all in my ideal world he'd be like Tommy Doyle or something I do wish he stuck around longer because they made they had some really good ideas and I think the even though I'm going to acknowledge a cab even fictional ones but I do kind of wish he survived a bit longer. Um, but what I wish primarily is I wish that they had genuinely just made that deputy. I wish he just he just. He didn't have to be a pre-existing character, um, as fun as that would have been. I, but I do wish that they'd made it so that he like had a past with Jason. I mean, 
if they were going to do Tommy again, that honestly would have been a really good placement for him. I think it would have been great. Like, it would have been a shame because I think that would have been an unfair end for the character. But, like, I just, I wish that they'd given, they'd given this cop character, like, a direct past with Jason. I've also seen this actor in a lot of stuff, and he's fairly good. He so. is. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good job. He, he, he gave a good performance. He did a good job in the movie. Um, I just thought yes. it felt to me like it would have given him, given me a lot more reason to buy why this guy was able to solve that it was Jason Voorhees the way that he did. I mean, he, he's very familiar with Jason. Seems like. They, yeah, yeah uh, having the past would have connected better. Like, when he was a kid, maybe he was part of one of the many, many massacres. Like... Right, he could have been to like one of the camps or whatever. That yeah, actually, one of the, could been, he could have been one of the kids at the camp uh, when in in a uh, in Jason lives. Like, there's 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 options, right? There's stuff like I wish that they like just just stuff. Yeah, um, they could have done. I love that. Apparently, Springfield, not Springfield. Blah, 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 blah. What's the town called? Fuck me. Saturday Night Murder on Street is in. Is it not? No, oh, it's Springwood. I was right. Springwood. I said no. I accidentally, I accidentally said Springwood. I said Springfield, and I was yeah. like, "That's incorrect. That's wrong." Wait, wait, wait. I knew it. Yeah, and I, I love that Springwood, Ohio, is apparently like a three-hour drive max. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a, a stroll down the street. Yeah, it's like how uh, in BVS how they made Gotham right next to. <laughs> Metropolis, you know, just 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 Gotham and Metropolis right next to each other. Why? I'm sorry, I don't have an issue with Gotham and Metropolis like being near each other, like New York or Boston. I do have an issue with Superman being able to fucking see the bat signal from Metropolis. I do have an issue. With that. <laughs> this is just the same city. Well, does, does Superman not give a shit about the next city over? <laughs> I know! <laughs> like, why do you think? No. County line. Sorry. Huh. There's a lot of, like, gang and, like, drug cartel stuff over there. Do you think I should go over there? Nah, you're good. Okay. <laughs> This is funnier more now than it was before. I think it's very funny. I was always that that's such a laughable scene for, moment for me. Especially the shot when we like see is like, oh, it's like a twenty minute ferry ride. It's like one hop for Superman. I know. <laughs> I can't I can't go in there. It's Gotham. Whatever. It's Gotham. That's not my job to worry about that. Uh I just, I feel like it's like the ending of that famous line in, in Chinatown. 
you know, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. It's like, forget it, Clark, it's Gotham. Forget it, Clark, it's Gotham. All right, all right. Um, so, but which, which, what's your favorite scene in this movie? When they beat the fuck out of each other. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when Freddy gets pulled into reality, and then they have to tussle. It's pretty awesome. I think my favorite shot of that is down. that first shot when Freddy realizes, "Fuck." <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like, oh, it's on, bitch. I also kind of like the bit when they when they have Jason in the back of their van tied up uh, and they have to give mouth to mouth to him or try to. Not how it works at all. Uh. I know. I like how they interesting after watching all these movies seeing a scene where a bunch of the characters are like in the same presence as Jason and like not dead in two seconds, you know, like you I mean it, it? It feels super incorrect. I I think it works in the context of the movie, but after watching the series, it feels so strange. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I actually think it's really interesting that these characters have a moment with Jason. Physically, without it being a death, a death sentence. But uh, I agree. I think it's it's one. Of, it's the kind of interesting scale shot you get that you can't that that you you get to have from based around the concept of this movie. He's fucking massive in this movie. He's so fucking big. So this is not Kane Hodder. No. In this one, which I know when the movie was first was like in production at the time. Um, some people, some fans, I think, were very mad about that. Um, Do you know the story about why they didn't get Kane back? Uh, you can, you probably know it better than me. You can go ahead and... No, I don't, I was asking you, I don't know. Oh, okay, no, I don't. I don't know what the specific, like, I was, I know that, I know that Kane, my understanding of the situation is that Kane Hodder wanted to, and New Line was just... Fucking around. That's a shame. Um, I don't want to though say that in any way that maligns um Ken Kersinger, who is the stuntman that does play Jason in this movie, because he does fan he's fantastic. Yes, he is. No, he's he, fantastic. He does a great job. Um I think he's, he brings a lot of great physicality to Jason. Um, I think that the the way he moves Jason's head and his face, especially the way he breathes, he kind of puts a lot into Jason's shoulders mm-hmm. in a way that really sells him as this kind of tank. Um, yeah, this works, movie was definitely dedicated to showing him as a fucking tank. Yeah, in a way that works really, really great um, in contrast to Freddy, who is the string bean. <laughs> Um, and that kind of highlight, and it, I think it, that works in a way that highlights, um, the different, like, cause Jason and Freddy kill people in vastly different ways. 
Um, and the source and the things that make them scary ultimately are really different. And I appreciate that being like so well um, illustrated in this movie. And like I said, Jason Summit like just bring brings so much of that. He brings a, a great physicality and movement to the character. Um, even to like the way Jason stands, I love the way he has Jason's Jason. The way he keeps Jason still, because Jason's yes. not like Freddie. My- like, Jason's not like Michael Myers. He doesn't have a lot of moments where he's like perfectly still. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Jason is still, like he's really he's. I think Ken brought a, a really really great sense of menace to Jason's like silhouette. Yes, yeah. His stature is what makes him scary, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, <laughs> I love the scene when he's slashing through people at the cornfield. <laughs> oh my god, the cornfield is really fun. Here's the thing that that scene is so fun because like it's here's like, that's the part where Freddie realizes, well, fuck, now I got to get rid of Jason because Jason snags swipes his kill. Oh, that was so funny. Which is so fucking funny. It's such a good scene and such a good, like. <laughs> because Freddy's mad now. Freddy's like, you're not, these are my kids. I'm here. <laughs> these are my bags of blood <laughs> to cut up and murder. <laughs> and, like, the people's reactions to him is so funny. It's just like. They don't know what to do. They don't know. No, no. Everyone's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I almost feel like some of those people, were, those kids kind of deserved it in a way where they were just like, yeah, I'm going to try and take him out by running straight at him. Oh, yeah. Some of these kids are fucking morons. <laughs> and then they just get sliced and there's blood spraying everywhere. <laughs> okay. the blood. That's the other thing is the gore in this movie is so much fun. This movie doesn't hold back on its blood. Yeah, it definitely goes with that. Um, it's benefiting from coming out in 2004. Like, it came out when we were, like, in a very... When the MPAA was very kind to graphic violence. Um, yes. Had this movie come out, like, ten years earlier, they would not have gotten... To, it would not have gotten to be nearly as fun. Um, but the blood in this movie... Oh, my God, especially... Okay, that's in the beginning when Catherine Isabel first gets out of the shower. Uh-huh. And all of that blood... There's a lot of blood. Pooling under the door. It's so good, and it's so red. Um, and then, of course, she fucking steps on it immediately. Like, what do you think is jam on the floor? I just love it so much. It's so good. It's so... <laughs> And I like the lighting in this movie, not because it's like great lighting or anything. I just love that the vast majority of this movie is so is super bright. It's like comedically well lit. It feels like a cartoon. Yeah, um, I had a similar. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the Hatchet franchise, the Hatchet movies. I watched the first one. Okay, I think they're all really funny, and it was specifically was the first one I think where I was watching it, and and there's a lot. There's a line because they're like trapped in this swamp and it's supposed to be the middle of the night. Yeah. And there's clearly a line where one of the characters goes, 
Um, so it's that something 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 about it's it's so dark. How am I supposed to see anything? And I was out loud. I just said to the person I was watching I was watching with. I was like, "Is it really? Are you sure?" <laughs> because it is comedic. The overhead lighting <laughs> for this quote unquote dark swamp in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night is hilarious. That movie has one of my favorite kills ever, though. <laughs> it is so bright. Oh, the kills in that those movies are great. They're mo- those movies are really funny. I encourage people to watch them. Uh, I have not seen past the first one, but I did see oh, the first one. Me too, because they get better. <laughs> really? Okay. They get funnier. I also Danielle Harris is in the sequels, which is huh. which is fun. It's fun for the Halloween. How many times in the first one? And Tony Todd is in the second one. Oh, that's cool. Has a big, he has a much bigger role in the second one. Ew, that's cool. Yeah, so I super I super recommend the sequ- the hatchet the hatchet movies. Um, okay. And of course we can't we can't not talk about Robert England. He is this is the last time he played Freddy in a movie. Um. Uh, the the Goldbergs episode is still canon, though. I said in a movie. I knew you were going to bring up the goddamn Goldbergs. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I specified. This is the last theatrical appearance of Robert England as Freddy Krueger, and it probably will be because Robert England is way too... I love him to pieces. He is too old to do this again. Um, you sure? What do you know that I don't, Crystal? I'll, you know, we'll see. I have connections. You have... Crystal, what do you know? Everything. Anyway, Robert England... I'm kidding. (laughs) Robert England never stopped bringing his 110% to this character. Even in the absolute worst Elm Street movies, Robert England never phoned it in. He doesn't seem like someone who does. Like, he loved playing Freddy Krueger, and he always, 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 right to the end, would bring his 110% to this part. He has some good moments in this one. And he, yeah, no, he is clearly having, he's clearly having fun. I feel like he was really excited to do the fight scenes with Jason. So I, I think so. It's very funny seeing this being like the next outing for Freddy following a new nightmare. I, I still need to see it. <laughs> it's really, really funny because to a degree, and like don't take this the wrong way, um, because like, but like to a degree, this exact kind of like wrestle, a new, new nightmare was sort of, its mission to a degree was to undermine this sort of like wrestler character. And then of course the next film is just the wrestler yeah, this, character. This, this, like, this like wrestler persona of Freddy. <laughs> I have the Blu-ray and, and, and I forgot how much stuff is on the, Blu- the Blu-ray. It's, I think it's all just ported from the DVD. Um, and they have a little clip when they did um, sort of a boxing, you know, like when they do those interviews yeah, before they do the, I've seen this, the boxing weigh-in, where they're like... Yeah. 
also, it mentions that Jason has had over 1,200 kills. Um, are they also including all the deaths in Jason X? And, like, is that where they get that number from? Uh, probably. Because that whole station exploded? Maybe. Huh. <laughs> Just a little detail I noticed. As of the beginning of Jason X, he's already killed. Like, they, they list, like, over 800 kills or some shit, right? Oh, they might have. I bet someone more dedicated than us has an actual count and tally. Someone does. Someone out there. I'm sure the that dead meat you kill count episodes probably I was, do. I bet you the kill. Yeah, probably. There's so there's that that real that accurate number exists out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's gonna be my goal. I wanna find that out. <laughs> Um, I love Robert England so dearly. Yes. I really do. I hope that he... I really hope that he doesn't go anywhere anytime soon. I need him... I need him to stick around for a long, long time. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to look some... Look, Robert England. He's 75! Really? Yeah. Dang. I don't mean to say that so concernedly. I just don't. I don't. I don't want Robert Englund to. I'm so scared. People. People keep dying. Aaron Carter's today. I yeah I saw, which is really jarring. He was only like what uh, under forty. Thirty four. 34? Oh my god. Yeah. I used to have a CDs. That's weird. Not weird that I listen to it, but weird just in general. You know? Yeah, no, I understand. Um... But yeah, that's, that's our that's our thoughts on Freddy vs. Yeah, I think that's a good... <laughs> I should let us move on because I could just sit here and talk about how much I think this movie kicks ass forever. I, I think I think moving on is a good idea because we don't we don't have it all the time where it's just the two of us and we where we can talk about a certain um, musical artist we both share <laughs> and enjoy with us. Did you expect release midnight? I'm sorry. Who? Uh, T- oh, I'm sorry, T-Swizzle. Oh, okay, yeah, now, now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Don't you have, like, that, that country artist? She, I'll have you know she is um, an awarded rapper. Oh, okay, all right. Oh. She's, like, eight foot four, blonde hair to the floor. Solid. Although Shorty's never thought she'd dream about rapping hardcore. Oh. This is a real rap that Taylor... It was a joke. It was a meme, but this is a real rap that Taylor Swift released in, like, 2009. Like, after Fearless. Um, Was it a joke? It was a joke. It was a a joke song with um, Little John, I think. Oh, okay. No, T-Pain. I think it was, it was, it's, we're super different artists. 
<laughs> with T-Pain. It was a joke song she made with T-Pain in, like, 2009. <laughs> um, it's called Thug Story. Uh, yeah, with T-Pain. I think it was just an extra for the deluxe version of Fearless. Oh, okay. I think it was T Pain's idea. I think he came to her and was and because at the time that was the funniest thing anybody could imagine. Oh, I see. Watch Seed of Chucky and watch them drive Britney Spears off the road and the car explodes. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's the funniest thing they could come up with at the time. Like at the time, this was hilarious. You see, yeah. At... <laughs> so, what did we think? What did you think of Midnight's Crystal? I've been listening to it like every day this past two weeks. Same. Um, I haven't heard all the, like the extra songs. I mainly just heard the main. Was it twelve songs? Thirteen. Right. Thirteen. Okay. Yeah, I've been listening to the main stretch of that album because that's the only thing that's available on Google Music, and I use Google Music almost exclusively. Uh, you should so definitely I'm, listen to the 3 a.m. tracks. And when I have more money, I'm going to buy the CD from uh, Target. Target's the Target, Target has, the, has hits different, which I've only gotten to hear once <laughs> because it's not on Spotify. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm, I want to... Want to check that out? But Midnight's Midnight solid album. It's a good album. <clears throat> it's fantastic. I really, really love it. Um, there's a few songs that took me a couple. So like Midnight Rain, I had to listen to a couple times to get it, and now it's one of my favorites. I need to listen with like reading the lyrics because I've been listening to it mostly with just while I'm at work working. So I haven't been absorbing all of the lyrical content. Um, but yeah. Well, because Midnight Rain, Midnight Rain had her using that um, voice distortion. Yes. On the course, and the first time I listened to it, I was like, I don't know if I like this. I'm not sure I get why she did this. And the more I listened to it, the more I was like, every time I listened to it, I got it more. I was like, no, okay. Okay, 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 I understand now. Because it creates this, like, wonderful dis- emotional distance um, between her and what she's singing until the last chorus when she stops using it. Huh. And it's really, I, I, it's really, really, I, I understand. I understand what she's going for with it, and I think it works really well. <clears throat> uh, what was your favorite song? Well, I think uh, as like as a first run when I first listened to it, I think my my heart went to uh, Karma. Um, I like I like the fun poppy nature of that track. I think it's super cool. But I've also I also I mean I like honestly I've been really digging her her singles. You know, bejeweled. Uh, Karma and Antihero. Antihero uh, has been re- like really kind of like growing on me from like the first time I heard it. Um, I need to hear more of the other ones. I'm gonna go to the 
I'm going to have the track list in front of me because I don't have it memorized since I keep it on in the background most of the time. Totally. You know? Yeah. Um, I was on a first listen. I was, so I don't know why. For some reason, I had zero expectations for Maroon. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I heard this title and I was like, like I don't know. It was so low on my list of, of the songs I was excited to hear. Um, yeah. And then the, the first time I was listening to the album, I was like, it hit me. Because Maroon is <clears throat> Maroon is my favorite song on this album. It's so fucking good. It fucks me up a lot. I listen to it, and it, it sounds amazing. Um, her voice on the chorus, especially the, her voice on the last chorus, when um, she goes into, like, her lower register, a, a gay hole opens up and swallows me whole every time I listen to it. Uh. I like a gay reason to laugh at that sentence. It's fine. It was intentional. <laughs> I'm sorry. You 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 throw a joke like that like to me. I'm going to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Mar- Maroon. It's fun. Like that. I think has the best lyrics on the album. It's such. It's such a perfect song. I think it's one of the best songs she's ever written. Like it cracked into my top ten. I I completely obsessed with it. Um, what did I say? Question. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So I also like question. Question is fun. I like question. Question's really passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah. And I I vibe with that. Um, my, yeah. my other favorite song on the album is Mastermind because I heard I heard the first. Um, lyric of that song, and I was like, "This is a song that uh, is about to be about me and my girlfriend." Oh. <laughs> and I listened to the rest of it, and I was like, and I kept, and, and by the time I got to the last chorus, which I'm, this is very very important to me. The last chorus of Mastermind, I heard it. I was like, "Yes, this song is about me and my girlfriend." <laughs> That's this, really sweet. I can't express how important this is to me, which is the fact, and this is, so there's a trend to Mastermind on TikTok right now where girls are, like, explaining <clears throat> the extremely convoluted and borderline stalkerish ways that they um, got their boyfriends to, to start dating them, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Like, I don't tend to be a person who's like, don't you know what this song is about when it comes to TikTok trends? Because TikTok trends... <laughs> You take you take things at this point. Yeah. But it, it this is very important to me, which is that when you get to the last chorus, the whole point is that she's not a mastermind. She's not a Machiavellian super genius who has tricked her boyfriend into loving a fictional person that she created. Her boyfriend just loves her. And this is That's really, sweet. like, it's very, to me, that, like, I keep calling this imposter syndrome the album. It does feel like. Like, the whole, the crux of so much of the of the songs, especially when you look at, I think, a lot of the major interests, when you look at Antihero, You're On Your Own Kid, and The Mastermind, like, there's this arching, the overarching theme of, like, Feeling like you're not good enough for people and being 
lonely and coming to terms with um, the fact that people don't like you um, and learning to be okay with that. <clears throat> and as well as a generalized anxiety towards relationships and being in love and feeling like you don't deserve it. Uh, so the this thing towards the end of Mastermind where <laughs> – she saw a wide smirk on his face. You knew the entire time. He knew the whole time. He knew the whole time. She was never tricking him. He was never walking in like she didn't uh, create a fit. Like she did. She did not create this. He saw this person who was trying to trap him, who was trying to like make this Machiavellian trap to make him fall in love with her. And that's the person he fell in love with. He fell in love with the anxiety-riddled person who thinks that everyone hates them. He fell in love. Like, this is very, very important to me of, like, <laughs> he loves the anti-hero. He loves the problem. He loves, like, it's so, to me, that is, like, the, the crux of thematically of the album. Yeah. <laughs> like, this part is that... <clears throat> You are the worst version of yourself, and that person is also worth and capable of being loved. Your analysis on these songs is making me want to go through them in a little bit more detail. <laughs> um, you're on your own, kid, is big for me, too. I Yeah, I, I love that one. I, I can't impress enough with you're on your own, kid. Um, there's a line towards, like, towards the later half of the song. You, um, I looked around in a blood-soaked gown and I saw something they can't take away. I've seen people interpreting mm -hmm. that something as Joe, as her boyfriend. And I also, there, cannot impress enough that that's not what You're On Your Own Kid is about. This is also very important to me. Uh, is no, that seems, like a, that seems like a misinterpretation of what I'm trying to be. Uh, the thing that you can't take away is yourself. It was her. It's a song about becoming self-reliant and being able to um, have faith in your own abilities and your own your, – your, you are the person who is always there for you. You've been through all of these hard things before. You've lost people again and again. You have – You've dealt with whatever with your personal, uh, mental and emotional demons. Um, you're, you've dealt with outward antagonism and betrayal. And the thing, the person that was there every single time that got you through this was you. You will always have you, and that's okay. So don't let the fear that the things that that other people will leave, that other things will go away or be unsuccessful, stop you from doing these things because you have gotten yourself through the loss before. You will do it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm refreshing myself with the lyrics again while you're talking because I'm like, I haven't quite memorized the song yet, but... <laughs> And I haven't dedicated myself to like going that like in a critical and I'm I'm I, oh god I because Taylor Taylor Swift um her like there are many things Taylor Swift is good at obviously as an artist but her her biggest strength is her lyricism 
And when this album first, like the first few days after this album dropped, there was this narrative spinning around on social media that was like, what happened to all of the great lyricism on folklore and evermore? That was very annoying. There. Because like, it's there. Like a lot of people are probably, because she also has, so I don't, there's this wonderful clip. Um, Taylor Swift recently got um, a songwriting award. Um, and in her acceptance speech, she defined these three categories of lyrics that she writes, that she has for herself, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, glitter gel pen, fountain pen, and quill. Oh, that's a great way of putting that. Yeah, and it's it's a wonderful way for her to articulate, in which she articulates, like, the types of songs that she writes, Um and what she's going for. And I think, like, glitter gel pen, pretty self-explanatory, you know. Shake it off, 22, we are never, ever getting back together. Like, they're the, the fun ones. The silly, goofy movies. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, that, writing a, a good, silly, fun song with a good hook takes talent, too. Like... I don't think it's fair that, like, I don't know. It's just, it seems a weird thing to say that people who write that type of stuff don't have talent, you know? Yeah. And so what has happened is because she included, because this album included more glitter gel pen lyrics, because she had Karma is my boyfriend, Karma is a cat purring in my lap because it loves me, because she had draw the cat. Oh, I love cat eyeliner to sharp enough to kill a man. You know, I thought about replying to one of your tweets talking about um, karma. I was going to say, you are analyzing that, what it means and what it means to her. And then I was just going to respond. I like that song because it's I like kitties. I like kitties. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had my tweet. So the thing I like about, one of the things I really like about karma, sorry, I'll say that <laughs> Let me fit, I'll finish this thought. Um, so it's just people hear the, 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 the sillier lyrics and have deemed a lack of lyricism. It is just so blatantly incorrect and unfair. Because first of all, plenty um, of these glitter gel pen lyrics. Like those people only listen to. Only right, listen, I was say, first of all, because plenty of those glitter gel pen lyrics are, are great. Um, I especially like, I would especially say, um, like in Karma, um, and the, in the verses, there's a lot of like really, really complicated, uh, lyrical arrangements that I'm like, you're just not listening, you're not actually like paying attention to, um, because you're distracted by the electro pop production. Um, and also in Bejeweled, like, don't, they say familiarity breeds contempt. Don't put me in the basement uh, because I want the penthouse of your heart. If that was set to a folksy backdrop and not in Bejeweled, everyone would be jizzing themselves over that lyric. Like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> they're fantastic. Like, there's fantastic lyrics to this. Um, but also because, like, it's, it's a, an aggressive distraction by the by the fact, the more poppy production that suddenly the lyrics are bad. And I aggressively will be arguing against that. Yeah. Yes, I had this thing with Karma where something I really like about it as a song. So Karma was in like the mythos of Taylor Swift 
there's um, a theory, a very popular theory amongst fans, that between 1989 and Reputation, there was a quote-unquote lost album called Karma. Okay. Uh, that she wasn't able to release because of a variety, because of all of the um, issues that were plaguing her public and personal life in that period of time, uh, which there were a lot. It was the height of the like Kim and Kanye uh, snake bullshit. It was when Taylor was like at her biggest spike of. Um, dislike being disliked by the public mm-hmm. um now my opinion on this has always been that uh there might have been a different album probably not actually called karma um there might have been a different album con- thing she was working on but it probably isn't almost definitely isn't a fully lost album i think any songs that were written for this theoretical other album probably just got reabsorbed into reputation um but in in concept, karma as an entity in the Taylor Swift mythos has always represented this very antagonistic and um, depressing and angry period of time in Taylor's public life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really, really nice that when she finally like actually wrote a song called Karma, I liked that it focused less on that anger and antagonism and more on the ways that her life has healed and gotten better. Yes, for a song about karma, it's incredibly positive. <laughs> it is, and I like that because karma can be a positive thing. Karma is a good. Yeah. Karma is her boyfriend. Karma is her is her fans staying loyal to her. Karma is her getting this off being the first artist in history to occupy all top ten spots at the same time on the Billboard Hot 100, which is an amazing accomplishment. Not even Did you the see f- that tweet that someone was saying that like that her being able to do that was somehow like wrong or like unfair. It was a, yeah, I did, and it bothered me. <laughs> that tweet that was like, "This is not a natural um, ascension to success. This is um, a product of uh, streaming culture." Um, siphoning our ability to seek out new music, which I don't No, No, it's really not. I don't think, I think that there are, there are issues with streaming cultures and its impact on the music industry, but this is not one of them. This album was powered to the top 10 because Taylor is one of the single most famous people in the world. Yeah, exactly. People were anticipating this album. It was a highly, highly anticipated album, and she has a really big and devoted fan base that were streaming it a lot. Um, and it was a good enough album that the regular public was also streaming it a lot. Like it's, yeah. And there was a lot of strategy on Taylor Swift's team. Sorry, excuse me, on the on on their part to make this happen. <clears throat> a lot of really great like business strategy and they succeeded like this is not that this to me is not an example of the issue that person was talking about and it's weird to me that we are only bringing it up when it's Taylor Swift and not when Drake had all nine spots like last year it's a it's it's a very clear to me like 
I don't want to baselessly accuse every single person with a critique of Taylor Swift of misogyny, but to me, like, it's very clear to me that there, people just don't like her. Some people, and that's fine, to be clear. You don't need a reason to dislike a fabulously wealthy white person. You can just dislike them. That is fine. I'm not going to argue with you about that. I just wish people would accept that it's a visceral dislike of Taylor Swift and stop trying to, like, social justice justify why. Right. You, you don't like her. That's fine. This aggravates you. Understandable. But just be a hater. Like, just hate her and move on with your life. I don't know why you got... <laughs> You, you you don't need to come up with like a big social justice reason. <laughs> that reminds me of someone who replied to my tweet about I made about Andor. Uh, I was just tweeting saying that I like the show and I think it's really good and smart and interesting. And I think Andy Serkis was giving a great performance on the show. Um, uh, but then someone responded with like calling me obviously a shill. Uh, um, and so, like, are you the type? Of, I replied, going, are you the type of person that looks like you just go around to different Star Wars people, like people enjoying something, and you just hate on them? And then they admitted too much by saying that hate that Disney ruined Star Star Wars and hating is the only thing I have I have left. That's what this person said. Uh, and so I said, dude, go outside. And then of course I get blocked for that. People need to go outside, is what, yes. what I'm saying. Um, I do have one other major, major thing that I need to talk about. Um, and this is about one of the songs off the 3 a.m. track list, so you might not have heard it yet, Crystal. Okay. Um, would have, could have, should have. Um, I don't think I've heard that yet, no. no. So this is the song that supposedly everybody thinks is about John Mayer. Mm-hmm. Um. I think reasonably so. I don't think Taylor's trying to, like, pretend that it's not. Um, she specifically identifies the song as being from when she, like, she identifies herself as 19, um, dating a grown man in the song. Like, that. I don't okay. think she's trying to hide that that's what the song's about. But um, <clears throat> I have this very intense thing I have about this song, which is that uh, Taylor Swift is, this is, this is reappropriating the plot of The Crucible in this song. And no one's talking about that, but it's so very clear to me. Huh. Um, so the first time I listened to this song, one of the major things that stood out to me was the lyric that made me think, think of this first, the first time I listened to it was, um, a, a, a lyric in the chorus that goes, now that I know, I wish you'd left me wondering. Because uh-huh. throughout the song, she's still talking about like losing her innocence, losing her girlhood um, in this abusive relationship that she had as a very young girl with an adult man who's like 12 years older than her. Um, uh-huh. And when I heard that line, the first thing I thought of was like, ab- was Abigail in the Crucible shouting at John Proctor um, about how I know you now uh, in the biblical sense, like, right? The way that that, the way, what that means in the Crucible of I know you, that means we had sex. <laughs> okay. Um, that's what that means. And um, 
Uh, first thing about, and the more times I listen to this song, the more I'm like, no, she's singing about um, dancing with the devil and how she would have, if, if, if you hadn't looked my way, I would have stayed on my knees. I would have stayed a good Christian. And about being driven to like rabid insanity by the way this man shoot her up and spat her out. <laughs> this adult man had sex with her. And I want to make clear that I'm not necessarily saying for this interpretation of the song to work that Taylor Swift and John Mayer definitely had sex. Like, I want to make that clear. This is not, this is me interpreting and interpreting, doing literary interpretation of the song. Um, but like, it's this angry, aggressive, aggressive, like angry statement on behalf of her 19 year old self about being angry at this adult man that did this to her and the way that society had to frame her anger about the situation as her, like, harshing the reputation of him. Right. Um, which is so much, like, and it's a, it, it's this aggressive reframing of the plot of The Crucible, which takes this 16-year-old girl, based on her, when her real life was 12, um, the 16 year old girl is ruining the lives of basically ruin worships the devil and uh, ruins the life of everybody around her mm-hmm. because she's mad about this adult married man that had sex with her. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big lyric for me is uh, in the beginning of the song, she talks about um, if I was painted, I splattered on a promising grown man. Huh. Cutting fucking lines. That is a good line. That is such a good fucking line. Um, and just the more I listen to it, like, she's thinking about... St- Every time I listen to it, I'm like, no, this is Taylor reappropriating the plot of The Crucible and highlighting how um, misogynistic that narrative is. About uh, blaming this 16-year-old girl for going rightfully insane... After the way this adult man seduced and abused her, like ah. Anyway, no one. I see absolutely no one else mentioned this, but it's like the primary way I'm consuming this song, and I needed to. No, that's important. I think, I think finding things like that that you notice no one is really like giving a full analysis of and, and conversation about. Um, I think sometimes that can be really enlightening. And I think multiple interpretations, like the way that you've interpreted, which I can totally see from your explanation, I have to listen to the song myself, uh, um, is, uh, is really good. It's part of art, right? <laughs> Finding new meaning, understanding what it means, and having different perspectives to analyze said work. Yeah, exactly. Yes. No, I get it. I feel like some things I listen to, like, or I'm into, no one else's. <laughs> so, like, I have these, like, ideas and thoughts, and then I'm just, like, would sending, would sharing this out, like, actually, like, make any difference? Would blow out other people's minds, like, the way that it does mine? <laughs> you should. I, I, I have this all the time, and that's why I throw my thoughts into the wind on Twitter all the time. Yeah, I try to. Sometimes to success, sometimes to, like, 
<laughs> people apparently don't like my don't like my music takes because they don't get much traction. <laughs> yeah, you should share them anyway. There's always a value. That's true. I like uh I like analyzing art. Um I think I've talked about them and I want you to listen to the album when you can, but um I've told you about We Are the Union, the ska band with a trans lead singer. Yeah. There is a fantastic song that I feel like could easily have been buried. Um, like, it's on the last song on that album. And that album is essentially kind of like a coming out. Um, not every song has to do with her transits, but enough do where it feels like that's the main theme of the, the album itself. Uh, there's a last song called December, and I found it really powerful. Uh, I don't want to, like, just recite the lyrics, but essentially it's like... It uses a lot of metaphors to explain the feeling of leaving the closet behind in a way. Um, it's because you'll be dead in December. There can't be two of us forever. You know, I think, I think that's really powerful, honestly. That song I listen to and get emotional. <laughs> I think that's, that's wonderful. So I, uh, that's really, I'll have really... to link to it. <laughs> but yes, I feel like I feel like if you're a trans person listening to this, you got to stream "We Are the Union's Ordinary Life" album. Wall to wall bangers if you like ska. <laughs> I also I don't know if I've pinched them out on here before. Rainbow Kitten Surprise, um, their lead singer came out as trans earlier this year. Right, you mentioned that to me. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're fantastic, that band. I super recommend listening to them. I think that ever since um, their lead singer, ever since she came out, um, it's super altered the way that I consume and view um, their discography. What's crazy is, like, when you listen to an artist, right, and they come out as trans or whatever, and then you go back or you go into, like, their art that they made in the past, whatever it be music or, like, film or whatever, and you just you find these moments in their art where it's like literally screaming out, but like they might have not have even realized it at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like the big one is the matrix. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like watching that since coming out, like when I watched it again recently, I was just like, I was just slapped in the face by how like really obvious like the trans symbolism is in that film in like a way where it's super powerful and it pisses and it's fun because now it can piss off all of the transphobic um incels yes your your favorite movie with the the dude doing kung fu and and using magic and in attacking cool guys and sunglasses and it's a trans metaphor fuck you it is a trans metaphor. It's the same thing with Fight Club when you teach teaching teaching all these men that's like, I, you know, Fight Club's about being gay, right? <laughs> what? Fight Club is about being gay. The book is a little bit more so than the movie, but Fight Club, they're not fighting. They're not fist fighting. They're having sex. <laughs> that is why rule one of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. It ruins their lives. It's so funny. 
but but my big strong manly movie about manly man things. Alrighty, uh, my girlfriend needs me. I have to run. I think this is probably a good point to wrap up. I think we talked about a lot of good things. We got Freddy vs. Jason in, and we got Taylor Swift. So, um, and you should go. You should go be with her. So, um, would you like to plug the, the stuff that you have to plug? Um, yeah, you can follow me at Lizzie Lemon Drop on Twitter and the Final Horror on TikTok to listen to me talk about all these same things. Um, I love you guys. I am gonna run. I will let Crystal plug and close out. Oh, I will do that, Lizzie. We will chat next time. I'm very excited. <laughs> all right, I will. I'm not gonna hang up so that you can keep recording, but I will. I will talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Um. With that being said, my name is Crystal Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at CrystalWRops. I also have a Tumblr, which you can follow. I have a link tree in my Twitter bio where you can go to all the links that I have. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's that's all you need to know about me right now. Um, with that said, next week we will talk about the 2009 Friday the 13th remake thing. So, which will be the end of our Friday the 13th Marathon. So, I am incredibly excited uh, about that. And I hope that you all listen to it and enjoy it. We are almost done with the series, and we've had a really good time. But until next time, this has been the Gals of Kingdom Podcast. And we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Love you. Bye.